With digital records and cloud storage becoming the norm, the bricks and mortar safe deposit box might seem a little outmoded. But don't rush to declare the safe deposit box a relic of the past just yet, though many banks are eliminating them. There can still be times in which you'll need to be able to produce certain original documents, like your will, including ones that have a raised seal, rather than digital scans or photocopies. And some valuables simply can't be digitized. Hi, everyone. This is Becky Easton, your host of Family Wealth and Other Musings. I'm glad to have you here with me again today. This is Friday, and I wanted to bring you just a quick list of some of the things you might consider keeping in a safe deposit box. This is one of the questions I get all the time as we're wrapping up our estate planning. Where do we keep these documents? And the first answer is one you might not expect, which is not necessarily in a safe or a safety deposit box, especially when it comes to estate planning documents like your trust and powers of attorney. We need to be able to access them when we need them. Um, you know, it's much more useful to have them have you know, copies even. Copies generally work as well as the originals for certain documents, not counting your will. Um, uh, but most of them, you can get away with copies. So even just keeping copies available on a shelf where everybody knows where to get to them and keeping the originals locked away um, so that people can access them. You want people to know where your planning documents are and how to reach them. And that's the big thing, you know, if you put them in a safe, well, does anybody know how to access your safe? <laughs> Another big problem that we run into, and especially with safety deposit boxes, you know, you might have the key, but if you're not named on that box, then we're going to have a little bit of trouble accessing it. Um, so anyway, I uh, came across this article on Kiplinger.com talking about items that you want to keep in a safety deposit box and they should follow it up with another article that I will share with you tomorrow um, on things that you don't want to keep in a safe deposit box. Okay, So one alternative to having a safety deposit box at your financial institution is installing a safe in your home. But these devices aren't foolproof. Right. Home safes are more susceptible to fire and water damage, and not to mention theft, than bank and safe deposit boxes. On another hand, access to your safe deposit box, if you have it, can be limited, and even more so during emergencies. For example, during the coronavirus pandemic, there were reduced operating hours for some bank branches and limited access or required appointments for in-branch services such as access to your safe deposit boxes. And things like that really complicate your ability to retrieve important documents or items when you need them. And also note that the safe deposit boxes um, within a bank aren't natural to disaster proof. If they're in the way of Hurricane Katrina or one, one of the wildfires regularly seen in California and other parts of the West, they could fall victim like the other buildings washed away or burned to the ground. Safe deposit box aren't foolproof, are foolproof, fireproof, or hurricane proof. And that aside, some of the best advice is to use a safe deposit box 
and a home safe. Hard to replace items that you might need frequently or in a hurry, such as your passport, are best kept in the home safe. Whereas other important items you rarely need stay in the safe deposit box. So here are a list of nine important things that you'll want to consider keeping in a safe deposit box because you might just not use them quite as much. First up, your social security card. Having your social security number fall into the hands of an identity thief can be the start of years of headaches as you're forced to file disputes, freeze accounts, and monitor credit reports for signs of financial fraud. On the rare occasions when you actually might need to produce your social security card, say for a real estate transaction or closing, you can plan to retrieve the card and then immediately return it back to the bank vault. And in the meantime, if you don't already have your social security number memorized, go ahead and get it memorized so you don't have to whip out your card every single time. Next thing that you'll consider keeping in there, birth certificates, marriage certificates, divorce decrees, and death certificates. Vital records that are rarely needed but a hassle to replace are prime candidates for your safe deposit box. So those are, as I just mentioned, birth certificates, death certificates, marriage certificates, and divorce decrees. The same actually goes for adoption-related documents, and in particular, birth certificates from an overseas adoption are extremely difficult to replace if they're lost or destroyed. Government agencies typically can issue certified copies of vital records, but it'll cost you time, money, and a lot of frustration. You'll also need to provide proof that you're entitled to copies. Oftentimes, you can use a third-party service like VitalCheck, who can help you obtain those documents. Also, I want to consider keeping paper, stock, and bond certificates in your safety deposit box. Bookkeeping for stock and bond ownership and transactions is largely handled electronically these days, but there was a time in the not too long ago when actual paper certificates were issued to investors. The New York Stock Exchange eliminated its requirement for physical certificates in 2001, and paper savings bonds haven't been available from banks since 2011. And in a twist, however, you can use your federal tax refund to purchase paper Series I U.S. savings bonds directly from the U.S. Treasury in $50 increments. And you, in order to do this, include IRS Form 8888 with your tax return to request these paper savings bonds. I did not know that. That is a fantastic fact, as I'm just reading right through right through here for you guys. Um, yeah, how interesting. So some paper certificates, uh, many of which are intricately engraved and sometimes works of arts are still floating around. So if you have any of your own or receive any as an inheritance, secure them in your safe deposit box until you can determine the actual value. And this is especially true if you don't recognize the name of the corporation on the certificate. The security could be worth more than you think if the stock later split or the original company merged with a bigger company. The SEC recommends contacting the transfer agent listed on the certificate for information. And you can also try your broker or the relevant state agency that handles incorporations. And finally, if you even if you discover that the certificate has no investment value, it might be worth something as a collectible. Next, you want to consider keeping personal papers. Because sentimental value really counts as well when deciding 
what personal papers to stash in your safe deposit box, items like diaries from your youth, cherished letters from friends and family members, or the unpublished memoir of a long-dead relative can benefit from the protection of a safe deposit box. And yes, these personal papers can and should be scanned as a backup, but there's no replacing the connection that comes with holding in your own hands something meaningful from your past. And that includes also family photos, right? It's likely that most of your recent photos, though, are snug in the cloud, so your latest selfie is safe, even if you lose your smartphone. But what about those precious old photos of, say, childhood vacations or relatives long gone? Much like personal papers, you'd be wise to store family photos with sentimental value in your safe deposit box, along with any negatives you may possess. And don't stop there. Scan the photos, copy the files onto a thumb drive, and store that drive in your safe deposit box too. Another backup option? Upload the digital copies to the cloud storage solution of your choice. Number six, collectibles. How often do you really look at that stamp collection your grandfather gave you as a child? Or how about those rare coins you collected in high school? How about your dad's baseball cards, including a signed Mickey Mantle? Probably infrequently. Collectibles like this that are valuable and hard to replace are strong candidates for storage in a safe deposit box, but only if they're insured. Remember, neither your bank nor FDIC insures your stored possessions, and the off-premises coverage provided by your homeowner's insurance typically has very low limits for collectibles. One option is to contact your insurer to see if the coverage limits of your current policy can be raised. Number seven, jewelry. But I want to say it again, your bank and the FDIC still aren't going to insure the contents of your safe deposit box. And as with collectibles, the standard coverage offered by your homeowner's policy for jewelry stored in a safe deposit box will be modest at best. Insurance experts recommend adding a personal articles floater to your insurance portfolio. This supplemental policy provides added coverage for specified valuables. You'll likely need to get written appraisals of the value for each piece of jewelry for insurance purposes. Jewelry you wear regularly doesn't belong in a safe deposit box, which can only be accessed during a bank's normal hours. You want to keep that everyday jewelry in a secure place in your home, such as a safe. But the pricey heirloom jewelry that perhaps you inherited but rarely wear should stay in your safe deposit box until a special occasion arises and you can pick it up, wear it for the big event, and then return it safely. Number eight, your insurance home inventory. So speaking of insurance, it's a smart move to keep an inventory of all the belongings in your home safely tucked away in your safe deposit box. Should disaster ever strike, the home inventory will be invaluable when it comes to filing insurance claims. And of course, a home inventory kept at home won't do you much good if your house burns down or gets flattened by a tornado. One other tip is to supplement your written inventory with visuals. The more detail, the better. Include photos and vis videos. So as the saying goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. Number nine, you wanna keep your property records there. If you ever bought real estate, you're familiar with the piles of paperwork that accompany the transaction. In general, it's a good idea to keep these documents as long as you own the property and even beyond when you sell. Though in truth, you might never need any of them. But in the event you ever do, having the peace of mind that 
Many years later, you can track down a needed document and your safe deposit box is worth it. Settlement documents, including, including the clothing statement, detail how much you paid for the property. Some of these costs are deductible on your tax return and proof of the purchase price is essential when you sell and need to calculate the taxes on your profit. The original property survey can also come in handy if a dispute ever arises with a neighbor over property lines. The deed showing property ownership is typically recorded by your local government and made available as a public request. Um, and if you can't find a needed document related to a home purchase, try contacting your agent or title company that handled the closing. Number 10, car titles. A vehicle title is rarely needed and sometimes a pain to replace. In other words, it's a document that's perfectly suited to be stored in your safe deposit box. The only time you're likely to retrieve it is when you're ready to sell the vehicle and literally sign over the title to the buyer. The only other time is if you decide to take out a short-term title loan. However, there may definitely be better ways to get some extra cash than putting your car up as collateral for one of these loans. If you lose your car title and um, or rather, if you lose your car title, you have to visit your state's Department of Motor Vehicles, which might require an appointment. There will be paperwork, a fee, and maybe a long wait time for your number to be called. If there are no liens and no changes to the title, you might be able to even order a replacement copy online. And if you're in Arizona, you may be familiar with the servicearizona.com website. And I highly recommend heading over there. It's super easy and user-friendly, and you can order replacements of a lot of things right online. Another thing that you wanna keep records of are records of home improvement costs. Believe it or not, unless you're living in a hole in the ground, you know the housing market has absolutely soared over the last two years. Prices over the last year are truly telling. Where the median price of a new home was 436700 in March, which is 21.4% higher than it was a year ago. And expect those numbers to keep soaring. And what's that mean for you? If you've been part of this great resettlement and bought a new home and moved during the pandemic, you want that value to hold on. And even if you bought a home 20 years ago, what it's worth today could be extraordinary. And when you sell your home, you don't want to pay capital gains taxes. To cover that spread of what you paid for your house and its value today, it's important you factor in all the home improvements you made over the years. New kitchen, turning the garage into a home office, building out your basement, getting a new garage door, etc. And store those records in your safe deposit box. That means receipts, designs, tile samples perhaps, and a breakdown of all the costs. So here's an example. Exclusions from the capital gains tax for home sellers are $250,000 for a single owner and $500,000 for a couple. So say that you bought a house in 2002 for $2,000 and sold it for $800,000 in 2022, giving you a profit of $600,000. You back out the $500,000 exclusion and you're on the hook to pay capital gains tax on that $100,000. So to get that profit number down, you factor in the cost of all those major home improvements that you made over those 20 years. And the proof of the cost of those improvements, sitting in your safe deposit box, if and when you need to show the taxing authorities. So lots of really great tips here. And like I said, this is one of the, the bigger questions uh, or more common questions that I get asked all the time. Where do I keep my stuff? 
And um, so I hope this answered the question a little bit, at least as far as what should you keep in a safe deposit box. And so I hope you tune back in tomorrow because as I mentioned earlier, we'll talk a little bit about um, some of the things that you do not want to keep in your safe deposit box. So this has been an episode of Family Wealth and Other Musings, and I am your host, Becky Easton. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day.